children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. And uh, if you'd open your Bible to uh, Joshua chapter 1, uh, when, I, when I come back, so often uh, having, having preached in another church and, and also having taught 40 hours over there in Zambia, um, it's just good to take a selection of, of what's been taught and to um, other people have used my microphone while I'm gone. And it is, it is not quite right. I'll probably fidget with this a little bit. Um, it's good to take a moment or to take some time and to review what has been, been taught, what's been studied. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded over and over again every year of how basic our faith can be and how complicated we make it as Americans, uh, how, how difficult we make it to, uh, to be a believer uh, when it, when it is, is really, in some sense, very simple. We're going to read uh, Joshua 1, chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to pray. The scripture says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you, and and in particular, we come before you this morning, Lord, thankful. I am thankful that we are together again, and I'm thankful for many other things. Father, the blessings of of family, uh, the blessings of the civilization that you've put us in here in the United States, the blessings of health. And Lord, we come together in, in, in different states and we come from different places, Lord. Some of us uh, come anxious about things. Perhaps we're anxious about health or family or uh, the life of our nation or our personal safety or we're anxious about our relationships. But Lord, we come to hear a word from you. And so having read your word and now turning to its explanation, we pray, Father, that you would help and encourage us to trust you. Father, as 
we normally do. We are going to pray for those who have not yet heard the gospel, for those who you have sent who are ministering the gospel. And Father, right now we pray for the Zambian people, uh, many of whom have heard something like the gospel, but who do not understand what you did on the cross. They understand in some sense that the Bible is your word and that they're to be obedient. And many of them think then that means that if they are good enough, you will accept them. And those who know the Bible know that is not the gospel. It's the exact opposite of it. And so, Father, I'm thankful for the opportunity to take an amazing group of people to share and to serve humbly and to teach the gospel over in Zambia. I think of Tiffany, who will begin her class tomorrow for the time that she is yet to spend there, Lord. And so we pray your blessing on her. We pray that she will be encouraged and that the time that she has with you and with the students would be of great strength to her. We pray for Jerry and for Bryce as they continue to make their way home, uh, having taken a detour to go on safari. And Lord, we thank you for safe journey. We thank you for the people who remain behind, for the students of the college who are going to be future leaders in Zambia. And we pray that you would prosper their efforts as they seek to lift up Jesus and the cross and to encourage faith in your promises, Lord. We pray that in all things, we would never forget that as believers, we're not to move on from the starting point of the cross. We're sinners. We come to you needy and desperate for grace. And you being kind and good, give it to us in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would help us then in gratitude to trust in your promises and to obey your commands, not to earn life as if it was something that could be purchased with good behavior, but to live lives devoted to you because we are thankful for what you've done for us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you would speak to us now, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, just a, a quick word. Uh, next week, I plan, plan on bringing uh, Heidi Gore up front and uh, talking about the, uh, the sewing day that we had a few months ago uh, where they made the pillowcase dresses, the ladies of the church. Uh, it was amazing to see uh, this uh, small squad of girls descend on uh, Getsemane, as they called it, Getsemane Baptist Church. It's Getsemane in English. Uh, they, they say it in Nyanja, which if you're wondering how to spell Nyanja, it's a cool language. It's ninja, take the I out and put the Y there, uh, and then you have Nyanja. Um, so uh, this, this squad of young ladies descended, and they were presenting themselves to uh, Tessa and to Amanda on Sunday morning. They were the cool ones who went to church with me. Everyone else went another direction. Um, and, uh, and they were all just kind of standing there and, and, and doing, you know, this shifting, dancing thing, and they were all excited. And then we realized what they were doing is they were showing us that they were wearing the dresses. It was cool. So we're going to bring Heidi up here, and we're going to be like, that was so cool. Um, and we're going to have pictures from Amanda, because she took, like, what, uh, a scabillion pictures. And, uh, and Melissa's going to come up here and be like, that was so cool. So uh, anyway, we're going to do that next week. It's our secret. Don't tell anybody. Um, 
Let's, let's talk about the book of Joshua here. Uh, I, I had decided this year that I was over needing to preach in a, in a church in another country. It seems kind of arrogant for the American to show up and say, I totally understand your situation and your needs, and so I'll fill your pulpit. And uh, so, so I didn't pursue preaching in a church. And then on Saturday, a former student of mine, Moses Bonda, comes up to me and says, you're available to preach tomorrow, right? And I'm like, all right. I'll have to write a sermon, and uh, so he said, come on and come and preach, and so we walked um, Sunday morning to a little tiny church, and it's cool, you go there, and you know that the church is closed, because there are sticks covering the door. Um, No locks, no alarm systems, no nothing, no one has done anything to the church, Uh, they take the sticks away, they sweep out the leaves and any bugs that have invaded during the week, and they have church, and it was cool. It was simple. It was, it was neat just to watch them make do with what they had. And church happened because they had the word and the people came to worship and the spirit indwells believers. And so it was just neat to see this small group of people gather together. So they asked me to speak and I thought I would speak about what I was trying to convince my students of all week um, in, in my class. In the book of Joshua, God says in Joshua 1, 2, and 3 that Moses, God's servant, is dead. And so he then tells Joshua to arise and to go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. This is one of the principles I try to drive home in the class that I teach, is that God says that he is stretching out his hand. God says, Do, God says obey, but when he does that, he is always supplying the power and working through them. One of the places that I I use as an example of this principle is this place right here. Notice what God says to Joshua. He says, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people. Who's to get up? Who's to go? Who's to take the land? They are. But it's the land that God says that he is giving to them, right? I'm giving it to you. I'm doing the work. Here is the land. Arise, go, get up, and go and take it. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. They're able to go and to take steps of faith and to take steps of obedience because God says he's doing the work and they're just supposed to walk in the works that they have been given to do, right? Ephesians says, we are his workmanship. This is Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Uh, Growing up in, in New Jersey, in Union, the Union Public Library, when you got out of the car, right, to go to the library, you'd start to find these little red footsteps, They were painted on the ground, and as you followed them, I don't know if you had to walk precisely on them, but they would take you to the front door of the library and in. They, like, showed you the path. And you didn't need to know exactly where the library was. You just needed to know you were in its general facility, and the footsteps would lead the way. That's very similar to what's what's going on in the Christian life. God prepares good works for us beforehand and then says, walk in them. We don't have to produce the good works. We don't have to agonize and think and strategize and figure out how can I 
please the Lord. Instead, God says, here are the good works. At the end of his life, Joshua reflects. You might want to flip over to Joshua 21, although we're just going to look at one or two verses. I told my students, though, that, that with the advent of mobile phones, when you say, flip, you know, go, look at this passage, you, you don't hear pages turning anymore. And so I would say, turn in your Bibles, and they would turn, and it was so neat to hear pages flipping. Um, it's like a, a forever, I hear you turning your page, thank you, good person there. Joshua 21:45. This is what Joshua says at the end of his life. The, the book of Joshua, just heads up, if you're going to read the Bible to your kids, you know, you, you may want to try to deal with the second half of Joshua um, like really quickly in one night instead of reading one chapter a night. Uh, the beginning of the book, it's like all kinds of stuff are happening. There's battles, there's cities getting destroyed, um, you know, there's, there's trouble, there's repentance, there's all kinds of amazing things happening. And then you get to where they start to split up the land about halfway through the book, and it gets ultra boring. This tribe gets this land, this tribe gets that land. I offended a student when I said that, that it gets ultra boring, and he was from the, like, the Bible is never boring crowd. And I said to him, are you a Jew? And he said, no. I said, do you have any claim to tribal lands at all? And he said, no. I said then, like, this is boring. Let's just move through it. Right? It's relevant to those people at the time. It's the inerrant word of God. If the Jews ever get the land back, their tribal boundaries are right there. Right? And it'll be relevant to them. But it's not really relevant to you. Read through it and, and look at the, the, uh, the incident that happens with the daughters of Zelophehad. That's kind of relevant. Um, but other than that, there's like not a whole lot of interesting stuff in there. And then Joshua makes his speech at the end of his life. And that's really interesting. As he gets to the end of his speech in Joshua 21, verse 45, this is what Joshua says to the people. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Joshua 23, 14, Joshua sums up. He's about to die. He's probably in his 90s or maybe in his hundreds. And he has, he has been the commander of the people and has lived through the exodus, lived through the period when everybody's dying in the wilderness. And now they're on the land and they, they're settling. They're eating the fruit of it and living in, as God says, houses that they didn't build and eating fruit out of fields and tree, off of trees that they didn't plant. This is what Joshua warns them. He says, now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. I think that's so wonderful to just stop and to think about that. Everything that God had promised them. Everything that God had said concerning them had come to pass. As we look out at the world and we see chaos, whether it's in the current events that are happening right now with all of the, the violence and the confusion and the anger and the frustration that's going on in our country, or if we look forward at the uh, potential ruin of the United States, depending on which political party you're in, you're like, it's the other guy or the other gal. If they get elected, they're going to destroy everything. Both sides feel that way, I think, right now. 
it's helpful to know as believers that all the things that God has promised concerning us will come to pass. That not a single word will fail. And that from the moment that Joshua spoke this, it was true. Not one thing that God had promised concerning them had failed. And to this day, to this moment, fast forward through the rest of our lives and the lives of our grandchildren and great, 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 great grandchildren, however long that will be, until the moment that Jesus comes, you know it will be true? Not one word of anything that God promises to his people will fail. Ever. They're all true. They are all true all the time. And so, as Christians, we, just, we need a reality check sometime, right? We, just, we need to sit back and we need to say, God is on his throne at this moment, no matter what kind of chaos we're living in. No matter what difficulty we've encountered. No matter what struggle is going on in our lives at this moment. And this may be harder sometime than others depending on how close to home the problem is, how personal the struggle is, how great the tragedy is, how difficult the situation is around us, we need to take a moment and to consider that our God is in the heavens, that he is on his throne, that he is in control, that his words are always true and he has never failed us. That's powerful stuff, folks. And I think that we could say that it's not when someone says to us, everything will be okay, God is in control. It's not the fault of the person saying that and trying to encourage us. It's that we are not ready to lay hold of that and to say yes, because we're either feeling sorry for ourselves or we're, we're drowning in, in the grief of our circumstances. And that's okay for a while. To, to be there and to, and to reach out and to, to, to reach to the Lord eventually and say, help me, save me, that's okay. The reason that we struggle there is not because of the lack of follow-through on God's behalf or the lack of working on God's part, but because of our lack of faith, our lack of eyes to see it. It's not that God's work is too small to see. It's that our eyes are too narrow to see it. We fail to see it because we fail to search for it. Think about the experience of the Apostle Peter, who was able to walk out on the water, to walk towards Jesus in faith, to, to stand on top of that which cannot be stood on, and to do which humans cannot do, to, to walk towards Jesus until he thought humans aren't allowed to do this. And he took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked down and he's like, I'm walking on water and that doesn't happen. That's not allowed. And then he sank, right? He took his eyes off of the object of his faith and he started to think about himself and his abilities and what he was doing. And it's then that he sank. Because... His faith changed. The object of his faith changed. The object shifted from the Lord to himself and his circumstances and what he was doing, and he sank. And so we need to realize 
when we encounter difficulties and troubles of all kinds, and we begin to think that our story is not going to end the way that Bible stories end, with victory and success, we start to look at our story and we think, this ship is going down. This is going to be disaster. This is not going to work out. We need to realize it's not just faith that the Bible prescribes, but faith in the proper object. Faith in the proper person. Faith in the promises of God. I'm realizing at this very moment as I am looking at my notes that for some reason my notes have not updated and like half of my sermon is on my computer um, and is not here in front of me. So score one for technology. It's much simpler to be in Zambia where there is no Wi-Fi and there is no updating and there is no iCloud and you got what you got. So anyway, here we are. It's, it's not faith for faith's sake, but faith in the proper object. Not just faith in God in general, but faith in the God who has revealed himself. When we look at the Bible, we see that the Bible tells us why we are in trouble, why we struggle. Genesis 1 through 11 detail exhaustively the fact that mankind has sinned and abandoned God, has come under God's judgment, and struggles in the present under the curse. Man is alienated from God. He's alienated from uh, his family. He is alienated from his fellow human beings. And he's, he's alienated from the ground that he needs to produce food. And the word then tells us, that God is going to do something about it. And it's a very specific thing. He's going to build a great nation. And through that nation, Israel, he's going to bring a solution to the problem of sin. He's going to bring a blessing. And that blessing is Jesus Christ who will give the Holy Spirit. He'll restore the life of God to man. The proper object of our faith is God himself. Not just goodness. Not just positive principles, not just good feelings and happy thoughts, right? It's always, it bothers me. I understand we live in a pluralistic culture and they're just politicians and they're doing what they're supposed to do. But they say things like, send thoughts and prayers. And I'm like, I know who I'm sending a prayer to. Who am I sending thoughts to? How does that work? How is that helpful? I don't mean to be flip about it. I'm just like, explain the thing to me. Let's talk about this. Send thoughts. I have all kinds of thoughts. What, what, what help will they cause here? I know someone who can help. God can help. That might be helpful to pray to someone who's powerful and good and who blesses human beings. My thinking, well, I think about the majority of my thoughts and I'm thinking about you know, what I'm going to eat for lunch and I'm thinking, I'm just thinking all kinds of things. Send thoughts. I, I know, I know they're like trying to, to, to bring us all together, but it's like, come on now. It's, the, it's faith in the proper object and faith in the proper process. Faith in how things work in reality. How, how God has designed the universe. If you are going to mail a letter, and this is something that my, uh, my five-year-old does quite a bit. Hank will uh, get an envelope and he will get a piece of paper and he'll start taping all kinds of things to that paper. You know, he'll tape a pencil there and a stick of gum and he'll, he just he makes a letter. You know, and then he'll, he'll just like cram it into an envelope and he'll write a bunch of stuff on it. And we don't let him use stamps because stamps are money. A lot of times we'll try to get away with giving him a sticker, right? That letter doesn't go anywhere. 
because that's not the way mail works, right? You have to put a return address and an address on it and a stamp, and then you put it in the envelope and you put the little red flag up, and then the whole process works the way it's supposed to. We're supposed to put faith in God and in God working and in God working out his own purposes, in God accomplishing what he has promised to accomplish. So many times people hit crisis or catastrophe and they say, where was God? And we need to say, do we, like, in a calm, non-offensive way, I do not recommend saying what I'm about to say right this moment to someone who's in crisis. But it's like, let's just look at what you were depending on God for and see whether this is your fault or his fault. What were you depending on? I used to pray as a kid, I would say, I would say, God, help me pass this test. Many times I've never paid attention in class, I've never read the book, I've never done anything, so I'm like, I'm asking for a bona fide, genuine miracle here. <laughs> when, I, when I got a little older, you know what I would say? God, anything that I was in the room for, anything that I heard, bring that back to mind right now. Like, give me an amazing ability of recall. And, and I think that was smart. You know, I think it was a good prayer. And so, so, then, so then I would just pray, Father, you know what I've studied, you know what I've what I've worked for, you know what's not like asking you for too much. So just like help me crush this thing. Like that's the kind of prayers I pray now when it's like test time. That's, that's like, that's probably a better process than just asking God to give you something that you have absolutely no reason to expect from him. The Bible says that we struggle with sin and that means that death is going to happen. But God says things about death in the Bible, doesn't he? He may raise this one from the dead or that one from the dead, but the Bible says that God is bringing a solution to the problem of death, just not in the timing that we would desire. God says things about how he is solving the problems of strife and war and disease and pain and destruction, and we want the answers now. But God is working things out. He is bringing a solution to these problems. In the meantime, we need to trust that he is powerful and that he is good. And we need to look closely at what he has said he will do. And so we need to have faith in the proper object. We need to have faith in the way that God promises to do things. And then specifically, we need to put faith in his specific promises. Timothy Kerr, a pastor and author of a book called Take Words With You, says this, there are two words that are very powerful when used in prayer, and they are these simple words, you said. He uses Jacob's prayer in Genesis 32, verse 9, as his example. Look at, look at what he does here. This is what Jacob does. Jacob said, he's praying, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good, end quote. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children but you said, ah, now this is the power he's laying down here in his prayer. I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. But you said, 
remembering and applying the promise of God. I have these moments where my kids detect what never occurs in God, uh, the injustice of the father, right? If you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a mom, just swap the injustice of mom there. It's like, go to bed, right? And then they're like, but you said if we did this, then we could have ice cream. And you, you have every opportunity to destroy your integrity and your reputation as one who follows through on their promises if you say, how dare you go to bed? No, if they did, if they fulfilled, if they obeyed, if they followed through, then you say, yes, I will, I will honor my word. Or if you just said, you are such shiny, sparkly, wonderful kids, tonight you will have ice cream, and then you try to send them to bed, unconditional, right? And you don't follow through on it, and they say what you said. You give it to them, because you you keep your word. Those who pray in the Bible often remind God of his promises, and Christians ought to as well. Not because it helps God to remember, like it does parents, right? Right? But reminding God of his promises demonstrates to God that we are in a posture where we are dependent, where we are receiving, where we are grateful, and we are saying to him, unless you do this, it will not happen. Unless you work, we don't want it. Unless you give it, we will not receive it. Would you please work as you have promised? We trust in you. We depend on you. We want to have deep faith in his promises. Look at what Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which, through his glory and his excellence, through the knowledge of him, by which, that's the by which there, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Wow. When you look at what God has given, when, it, when, when, when Peter is summing up that he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through knowledge of him, based on his glory and his excellence, when we look at what God has given to us, when we look at what we're holding on to, we are holding on to his very great and precious promises. Oh, this morning we sang all to us and it was like, you are everything You're the promise. That's like goosebumps, awesome moment. I want to scream out like, you go worship band, like you did it. That's what we have when we look to God. When we look at what he's given to us, he has given us his word. His word, not not the Bible word. That's not what I mean there, though God has given this to us. He has given us, he has said, I will do this. And everything depends on God following through on what he has said he's going to do. Because that's what we have from God. We have his word. He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, okay, big stuff is going to happen here. Through them, through his promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Whoa. 
when you think about what was lost in the garden, the very life of God leaves man and man dies spiritually and struggles all through the Bible to do what's right and to live in a way that honors God. And Jesus comes and pays the penalty for sin. And when he ascends, uh, Peter says that, that when the people are looking at the, at the, the newly born church, speaking in tongues, that they're, that they're just receiving the promise which Jesus has poured out. The very thing that the Father gave to Jesus when he ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit returned to man. This is a big moment. These are the first people who are truly and really alive in the Bible. They have the life of God back in them again. Through the promises of God, through trusting in them, knowing them, believing them, we become partakers of the divine nature. It's not that we are the ones who do the work. God does the work. But the means of attaining them is faith. God does all the work. He does all the, the, the empowering and all the energizing. But he requires of human beings that they believe and act in faith. He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God is at work and he is giving out. He is sharing what he's sharing with us through his promises. Sometimes it feels as if though what the writer of Psalm 77 verse 8 says, Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? We feel like where is the, the, the deliverance of what he's promised to give us? Where is the, the, the attaining of it? Where's the, where, when, do, when does it happen? When do we live in the fullness of it? And yet Paul teaches that God is always faithful. He says this, All the promises of God find their yes in him. Speaking of Jesus Christ. All the promises of God find their yes in him. And that's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. This is the good news. We fail to believe. We fail to act perfect all the time. We fail to always trust. We fail to, to, to search out every single promise that applies to us in the scripture. And so we miss stuff all the time. But the good news is this, that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And when we put our faith in Jesus, when we put our trust in him, that God's working through him, that he's the perfect sacrifice for us, and that all that we need comes from Jesus, we receive all the blessings that go to Jesus. 100% God, 100% man, the perfect man who never doubted, never failed, never failed to believe. The good news of the gospel is that we receive every spiritual blessing and every benefit through Christ. That's good news. Apart from Christ, we're judged by our works, by what we do, how we do it, what, what motive we had when we did it. But in Christ, all of the rightness of every single action that Christ ever performed, the, the, the fact that he obeyed perfectly and never did anything wrong, he did everything from a perfect motive, all of that is applied to us. We then receive all the benefits of this perfectly righteous man. 
It's all applied to us. And so when God is scanning and judging and looking through human beings and say, that one failed in this way and that way, and they deserve judgment for falling short of my glory. And then he comes to a Christian who's putting their faith and trust in Christ. He says, that is a righteous person. Not, not looking at our own righteousness and saying, oh, they, he checked off enough boxes to get into heaven. He scored enough points. Instead, he says, that person is righteous like I am. The righteousness of Jesus is the very righteousness of God. And God gives us that by faith in Christ. Let's not act like this is some great work of merit on our behalf, folks. This is easy. If you were to say to me, Keith, all you have to do is say yes, and I will give you a million dollars in a beach house. Yes, that's right. Who would say no? It's like, are there any strings? No, you're just going to hand me a million dollars and the deed to some beach house somewhere, and all I have to do is sign my name on it, and it's mine? Yeah, all right, I'll do it. It's like, deal done. They're like, and now you have to, nope, no, 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 like... Money's in my pocket, I'm out of here, right? That is what God promises to us in Christ. Complete and utter righteousness simply by believing that the Lamb of God has taken our sins upon himself, that we're not worthy of it, but that we can receive righteousness from him by faith. That's it. That's it. That's the gospel. And in receiving Christ... All the promises of God flow to us then. Promises are worth something. They're worth something. I want to to share with you an idea from uh, Charles Spurgeon that I I teach in my class. Uh, And and this year I was like, I had to to, search myself for a moment. I said, you guys write checks here, right? And they're like, oh yeah, we know checks. Because I'm thinking like, I, I don't know, I just assume. I've taught this thing four times, and every single time I've taught this, I just assumed that they had checks. And so I said, you guys know what checks are, right? And they're like, yeah, we know what checks are. I'm like, oh, okay, good, good, good. Okay, I'll move on then. This is what Spurgeon says about God's promises. He says, a promise from God may very instructively be compared to a check payable to order. It is given to the believer with the view of bestowing upon him some good thing. It is not meant that he should read it over comfortably and then have done with it. No, he is to treat the promise as a reality, as a man treats a check. He is to take the promise and endorse it with his own name by personally receiving it as true. He is by faith to accept it as his own. He sets to his seal that God is true and true as to this particular word of promise. He goes further and believes that he has the blessing in having the sure promise of it and therefore puts his name to it to testify to the receipt of the blessing. This done, he must believingly present the promise to the Lord as a man presents a check at the counter of the bank. Okay, personal story. Going through what we received in the mail yesterday and Nancy says, What's this? A bill from a doctor? I've not been to this doctor in months. Why are they sending me a bill? And I'm like, oh, well, she can open the bill. I'm going to look and see what it is because I want to know how much damage is this. Like, we got to eventually pay for this thing, right? And I open it up, and you know what's inside of it? A refund check. (laughs) Yes, greatest thing ever. And so I say to her, cash it and cash it now. (laughs) Like, 
Praise the Lord for e-checking. Sign that thing and deposit it like immediately and let us get the good of it. Gut, true story. That's right. She backs it up. The two witnesses, there were others who were there to see it. It's, if God promises something to us, we need to say, did he promise that to me? God, God made a promise to me as a believer. And instead of saying, how nice, and then like putting it in your pocket as if it's a, a gift card and saying, like, someday I'll spend this. No, we look at it and we say, when does, when does this apply to my life? What do I do with this? How do I use it? What's it good for? How much is it worth? And then we cash it. Spurgeon says that God must plead that promise by prayer, expecting to have it fulfilled. If he's come to heaven's bank at the right date, he will receive the promised amount at once. If the date should happen to be further on, I don't know that Spurgeon knew that you're not supposed to post-date checks, but you're not supposed to post-date checks. They, they always like get frustrated at the bank if, if the checks are post-dated. Uh, if, if, he's, if he's come to, to uh, if the date should happen to be further on, he must patiently wait till its arrival. But meanwhile, he may count the promise as money for the bank is sure to pay when the due time arrives. Some, and this is all human beings, some fail to place the endorsement of faith upon the check and so they get nothing. And others are slack in presenting it, and these also receive nothing. This is not the fault of the promise, but of those who do not act with it in a common sense, business-like manner. Business-like. What does he mean? Have you ever... Okay, another story. Um, I get to Africa, right? And I have what I call my Africa pants. And they are not like, you know, multicolored or anything. They're just like pants that I don't wear around here because I don't go around always wearing like cargo pants and stuff. But I, I break out my cargo pants when it's time to go back to Africa every year. And so we're headed over to Africa and I'm thinking when we get there, I have to change money in from, from American dollars into Kwacha and then I'll be able to buy stuff like the greatest soda available only in Zambia, which is called Apple Max. It is carbonated soda-like apple juice. It's like the greatest thing ever. It's great. I brought four bottles home for my kids. They survived the journey, and my kids were like, this is great. And I'm like, I know. That's why I brought it for you. But so I'm thinking I can't get anything when I get there, right? And, and because I obsessively manage my passport and stuff as I go, I'm like, is my passport still there? Passport still there? Passport still there? I, I'm checking my pockets, and I reach in, and I pull out a hundred kwacha bill that I had left in my pants from last year. <laughs> yes! Now that's only worth 10 American dollars, but still, you can go places and get stuff with 10 American dollars in Africa. And so it was like, I will use this money for something because it's valuable. It's not like, oh look, money, and I'll forget it. But, but, but have you ever had that experience where you go, you're like, oh, I don't have any money. And, and you, you don't have the money on you, and then you later discover that it was right there, and you were like, oh, if I just remembered I had that gift card or that, that money, I could have used it in that situation. That's the way it is in living the Christian life. We have all these promises. We're so used to throwing up our hands in despair at times or, or failing to believe or, or failing to pray, and then... We render judgment on God and we say, where were you? Why weren't you working? Why didn't you come through? And the promises 
were there for us and we could have used them. Spurgeon finishes by saying, God has given no pledge which he will not redeem and encouraged no hope which he will not fulfill. God's promises are precious and to be believed in and protected. Now, as I was preaching in, uh, in, in Zambia, I, I had this, um, I think I'd forgotten to bring my Quacha coin. And so my entire illustration and plan failed. Uh, but what I was going to do, my friend Limbani, former student, was translating for me, and I was going to say, this is a valuable and precious promise of God and deserves to be protected. Now, this is, this is just one-tenth of an American dollar. Uh, but you can get yourself an Apple Max for six Quacha over there. So that's less than a buck. I mean, that's, that's something. So, so my plan was to then say, and this, and this Quacha needs to be protected and defended. I was going to hold it out to Limbani, and when he reached for it, I was going to pull it away. And then I was going to start to present it to him again and then pull it away again. I was just going to keep doing it as many times as, as, he, would, as he would do it. Uh, because then they, the people start laughing and they're getting the point that I'm trying to make. But I forgot my quacha coin. And so like, illustration ruined. But when we read a promise in the scriptures, we need to say, this is valuable to me. This, this has worth. Not because this... This coin here is worth anything because, right, money has got to be worth less than the promise that stands behind it or else it fails to be what it is, a symbol of its purchasing power. Does that make sense? This is actually worth nothing. Not just, not just because it's not American money and, and our money is worth more, but it's just a symbol of something. It's a symbol of purchasing power. We, we read the Bible and we, we, we fail in faith when we look at a promise and we say, oh, well, I can think of seven times that's not true in my life. Or when we say, yeah, okay, you know, I want to be encouraged today, so I'm, I'm going to move on from that. Or, or, or we just, we, we read through it because we got to get three chapters down so that we can, we can finish reading the Bible in a year, Right? Instead, what we should do when we find a promise is act the way that we act when we find a gift card that someone's given us in the drawer, right? In the rush of, of life, somebody gave us something and you were like, thank you so much, that's very sweet of you, it's very kind, thank you. And then we, you know, it moves from pants to other pants or to dresser drawer or whatever, and then you find it and you're like, oh, let's go to dinner, right? You, you, you react with joy, and excitement and surprise when you find it again. When we find a promise in God's word, we ought to say, yes, that's so good. What is this good for? What do I do with it? Because the promise has the very character of God standing behind it. All of his goodness, all of his blessings. Promises seem to fail God seems to fail in our life because we don't know his promises. At times, because we use them wrong, we expect that the promises of God, that, that, that we'll have peace, that they mean that, that no suffering will come into our life ever. No, it's not, that, it's not that we won't encounter suffering. It's that he will be with us through suffering and the end, the goal which we're moving towards is better than our destiny apart from Christ. There are many times we love ourselves and our desires and what we want to happen more than we love the Lord and his way and his desires. 
And so we fail to look at God's promises and say, oh, that, that is better than what I had in store for myself. We're too little in the word. We look at obedience as too much. We, we, we view that, that God should be more like a best friend who's always there for us than he should be like a sovereign king who says you should live this way. And we feel like we don't need to obey. Sometimes we, we read God's promises and we see it and we just say, no, I don't think that's true. But the Bible says that the rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. And so we're to know his word and to love his word and to love him. God gives his promises to a needy people, a hungry people, a desperate people, an impoverished people. If only we have eyes to see that we need him, that we need what he has promised to us. I, I, I am, do not feel like I'm better than other people, but I do feel like people who throw pennies on the ground are foolish. I see a penny and I think, like, if I can gather 999 of his friends, I will have something, right? That's just a, a, a segment of $10, right? It's, if, if, it's, it's worth something. And I calculated once what I'd need to make an hour in order for picking up a penny not to be worth my time, you know? Exactly how much time does it take to get down there, grab the thing, and, and come back up, you know? And it was some astronomical number, and I'm like, all right, I'm never not going to pick a penny up. Um, God's promises ought to be treated the same way. We, we, might, we might look at a promise and say, I don't need that right now. It's like, but you might, right? When, when, when life takes a turn and things get really bad, you might need that promise. Get it now while it's available. The fighter verse, you might not think, ah, I need, I need that today. That's not relevant to me. I was looking for some encouragement. But you hide that away in your heart, and there may come a moment where it's like, pow, you needed that. Promises of God are for a people who desperately need him. If they acknowledge their poverty. The people of God cried out to Moses in their slavery in Egypt. The Bible says that God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And yet deliverance did not come for another 40 years. They needed to be patient and they needed to believe. For a people who look at the news and are, 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 are scared because of what's going on in our country, or a people who look at their personal relationships and they see difficulty, or, or we experience health challenges, God gives good and precious promises to be treasured and trusted. Psalm 22, 24, he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Every word that you have prayed and cried out to God, he has heard. He has not ignored a single one of your prayers. So be patient.
Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Oh, but I say that and you hear law. What you hear is, I am not altogether righteous. I sinned and that's why God didn't come through. No, you are in Christ. You are righteous as he is righteous in the eyes of God. And therefore, if you cast your burden on him, he will sustain you. And then finally, a promise to the one who can't figure out the big answer and who can't just get it all together and live their life perfectly without need of God. God promises this in Isaiah 50.10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. You don't know how to figure everything out? Trust in the Lord. He'll be there for you. And so as we close, let me just encourage you with this. People, all kinds of people, don't need different answers to their problems. There's one answer. The answer is Jesus, and all the promises of God find their yes in him. Those who've been saved by Jesus need to realize that we have good and precious promises and these are the currency of our faith and we ought to hold on to them because believing in them builds our faith in the God who gave them to us. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, let me say this, this is a God that you can trust. Believe in him, be saved and trust him all your days. Let's close with Paul in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Promises are the currency of our faith. Paul says this, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's hold fast to his promises. Trust and believe everything that he says. One day, when we see the salvation of God, we will say, you are altogether right, and everything you said is good and true, and not one word of what you promised to us failed. Let's trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Lord, we have so many blessings in this country we cannot even imagine. Is it perfect? No. And so we have need to remain humble and to depend on you. We pray for our country, Lord. We ask that you would cool the tension. It's hard to know who is right and who is wrong, apart from knowing that you are right. And so often we are the ones who have failed and we are wrong. And so we pray that you'd help us to be humble and to speak words of truth and to point people to you as our country goes through turmoil. We pray in every situation that we encounter, Lord, though, that we would look to you and we would trust in your good and precious promises, that we would treat them as true and as valuable and we would hold on to them, looking for opportunities to put them to use. Father, we thank you that you've answered every single promise, yes, in Christ, and that you've given us every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you would grow us in our faith. Help us to believe in you more and to grow in grace. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for entrusting us with this good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.